Hello and welcome to the very first B4B podcast. My name's Mel and I'm B4B's marketing manager and we decided to start this podcast as a way to connect with local people and businesses in the community and really start some interesting conversations. As it's Mental Health Awareness Week, we thought it'd be a really nice idea to start with Dorset Mind, our lovely charity partner. And I'm joined today by Marie Claire, um, Dorset Mind's training manager. So welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you. Lovely. Well, um, to start us off, tell us about what you do here at Dorset Mind and how you got into working in mental health. So my role here at Dorset Mind, as you said, is the training manager. We our strap line, I guess, is to, uh, I mean, and it's quite a big one, but it's to educate people to be mentally healthy in Dorset. So uh, within our training team, we do whatever we can to educate people. So anything from the podcast that you've offered us to be on today, through our social networking, through um, training and education sessions, our aim is to teach people the really valuable skills in looking after themselves, spotting the signs and symptom, symptoms of mental ill health, and wherever possible, reducing stigma around mental health in general. We We really want people to know where to access support if they ever needed it and to understand that, you know, all of us are different, all of us have different needs and to just really reach out for support if anyone is starting to decline with their mental health. My journey on this road, I guess, of working in this field has been one that I've been lucky to fall into, I guess. Um, It was never something I knew that I wanted to get into until I found it. It's one of those nice things that's kind of come to me. But when I found it, I knew that this was the area that I wanted to work in. So I've done various things in the last 18 years while I've been working in the world of mental health. Everything from face-to-face direct support for those experiencing mild, moderate and severe mental illness, um, all the way through to creating strategies, creating training um, and now, you know, in this really happy place of just totally focusing on education and training within the mental health uh, arena. Um, I've experienced myself poor mental health. I've currently got really good, strong mental health, but only because I've taken my time to educate myself and Mm -hmm. I guess learn along the way what works for me and I try where at all possible, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, to not compare what I need to other people or who I am to anyone else. And I think that that's been the biggest gift of my own education in terms of looking after me, really. So it's something I've worked in for a long time now, and it's definitely my happy place to be in terms of what I do. So, yeah, great to be here, as I said, talking to you about it this afternoon. Oh, it's wonderful to hear. And um, I think it's really interesting what you said, that, you know, all our experiences are different. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also really important to remember that mental health is a spectrum that we're sure. all on same as physical health yeah um and we'll all have periods of you know good health and unfortunately some of us will have periods of ill health yeah. and it's just like you said it's about that education mm-hmm. and that understanding yeah um and knowing where to get the support sure. if we need it absolutely which is so which is so important definitely definitely Great. So um, obviously I mentioned that it's Mental Health Awareness Week. Yes. Um, and this year the theme is loneliness. Yes. So um, what we're going to be talking about today mainly is well-being in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would be a really nice opportunity to tie loneliness in with, you know, how we've all changed the way we work. Yeah. So a lot of us are now working remotely mm-hmm. or, you know, and maybe feel a bit disconnected sure. or they're adjusting still to that new way of working. So I think my first question to you really is how can we how can we combat loneliness and how can we feel connected to our our team if, you know, if we're working remotely? 
I think it comes from two angles, really. I, I guess it comes from the business themselves to make sure that they're mm-hmm. reaching out to their colleagues that aren't in the office with them. And I guess it comes from the, the person themselves working from home to know that they can still reach out to people. Yeah. Um, and whether that's through instant chat use, whether that's through, you know, joining meetings, whether it's now through, you know, being able to actually plan to meet up again in more face-to-face settings where possible. But I guess um, I, I've kind of learned over the last couple of years that, you know, I can enjoy some days where I'm completely on my own and working away in my own little bubble but actually I know that I need to step out of that every so often yes so making time to step out of that making time to make sure that I am actually connecting with people um and you know and I I do that quite well now but you know certainly at the start of lockdown I was really unsure about how I did that and I guess I did start to feel quite lonely myself I had a real tight network of support Mm face-to-face support and felt quite grieved by that really in the start of lockdown to miss that so drastically quite quickly Mm. so I guess for us we were then you know whatever it was putting on um you you know little more social chats in the evening that we could get together so we didn't have to just get together when we were talking about the work stuff that's I think that's so important and I think I think that's what a lot of us miss I know personally it was those you know those water cooler moments that we have at work making a cup of tea and we're just chatting about what we watched on tv last Mm -hmm. night or what we're up to at the weekend and it's those sorts of things you miss isn't it definitely um so we all make time for the meetings Mm -hmm. and the, the work stuff but I think it's really important to remember to factor in those little social interactions as well Definitely. and I think we're so lucky as well we've got things like instant messaging like you mm-hmm. mentioned and we've got zoom and stuff so it is easy easier than it once sure. was to stay connected with people and I think that really helps and it doesn't just have to be connecting with your work colleagues in the working day you know still have your lunch hours where you might be able to go out and have a walk with a friend or yeah. you know call someone I was doing lots of what I call walkie talkies in lockdown mm. and that didn't mean meeting up with people directly but being on my mobile phone to their mobile phone and they might have been in a completely different area of the county but you know any way that we're just able to kind of come away from the work as I said the work stuff but still be able to connect with another human being it's yeah. it's a it's an incredibly important part of our five ways to well-being but so so important that we feel that human connection where possible with someone else absolutely and that that takes me really nicely on to um the next thing I wanted to talk to you about and that's work-life balance Mm -hmm. and I think that a lot of people myself included I found this especially um when you're working from home it's harder to kind of switch off in the evening so you finish work and because your workspace Mm -hmm. and your living space are the same it's kind of hard to you know have that distinction and sort of think right okay I'm closing the laptop now and that's it yeah um so what are your suggestions for kind of maintaining that work-life balance and and switching off in the evenings because it is so important to have that time to rest and recharge definitely and I think it's completely about your your setting where you live what space you've got you know and um, I'm very lucky I can kind of close the door on where my laptop and my workspace is and for other people you know they are genuinely working in the area that they normally rest in but what we were trying to advise in that time and ongoing support really around that is wherever possible you know moving that laptop away so you cannot see it in the evening so whether you're putting it on a bookshelf whether you're putting it under the sofa whether you're totally locking it away in a cupboard that you just can't see and I think just taking away that visual reminder of work is a really important one absolutely but you know what no one's going to do it for you and I think that it does take some um you know belief in yourself that you're entitled to switch off in the evening that you are you are uh, contracted to work a certain amount of hours and I know that it's easier to log on earlier or log off later but actually 
putting some reminders even in your immediate work vicinity of what your contracted hours are for Mm -hmm. example Uh, reminding yourself to take that lunch break should you need it I kind of when I'm working from home save up all of my washing for that particular day so I've got a reason to come away from my computer at certain periods in the day and just do something really mundane like my washing um you know but again it's kind of that permission give yourself that permission we need to recharge in our evening so that we're ready to go again in the morning. And this is part of re- remaining or building our resilience. But we are deserving of that. We need it. We work hard. And that means that our brains and our minds need that switch off time as well. And I genuinely believe um, that the more that we show that we're doing work, people will assume that we can always work at that level as well. So if we're working later in the evenings, if we're not switching off, if we're doing more exactly. than we should, we're kind of just showing that we can rather than we, sh- we can't or we exactly. shouldn't be. So it takes quite a lot of personal drive to do that and put in your own boundaries. But having boundaries keeps us well. So it's a really important thing to get right in your own setting, whatever that might be, whatever works for you. But it's really important to put those boundaries in. Exactly. That's that's exactly what I was going to say. The the boundaries, the word you use there, I think that's that's very important. It is setting those boundaries Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, remembering what your working hours are yeah and also there's small things you can do as well like um turning off your notifications for things like slack and your emails Mm -hmm. and stuff and I think nowadays there is that expectation sometimes to be reachable 24 7 and I think we need to just gently remind ourselves and other people that that isn't the case and we need that time to you know step away yeah and like you said you know we've got great facilities to be able to connect we've got zoom and all of these other platforms but actually we've created an always on culture exactly and that's so it's the double-edged sword isn't it it's really great in one respect yeah but then it also you know like you say it's harder to set those boundaries then isn't it definitely so So exactly what you said turning off notifications allowing yourself to not be on social media should you not wish to be on social media exactly unfortunately I can't really do that working in marketing (laughs) (laughs) but um no absolutely Absolutely. Or I, I just try to set myself limits with social media. I sort of say, you know, I've got my little time in the evening yeah. to have a little scroll and then yeah. that's it. I put it away. Like you said, actually having that physical, putting my phone aside, putting it under the sofa so I can't totally. see it and be distracted by it. Doing yeah. the same with the laptop. Those things really help. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. Um, you know, and I think, you know, just knowing yourself a little bit about what you need is, is really critical there, you know, and, and appreciating that we deserve it, really. Yeah, exactly. And that's, yeah, that's so important to remember, like you say. Um, the next thing I wanted to speak to you about was was burnout mm-hmm. um, and that's something that ties in I think quite nicely to what we've just been saying about um, setting those boundaries and acknowledging you know mm-hmm. that we need to rest and recharge and I think the problem arises when when we don't make that time for ourselves yeah um, but if you could explain a bit about what burnout is sure. and how to spot the signs of it in ourselves but also you know in other people how to maybe notice if a colleague is struggling and how yeah. to start that important conversation with them if if you think they might need some help sure so I'm going to try and describe a visual here which is not as easy as I can on a powerpoint presentation for example but we talk about the stress curve so if you imagine a hill and down one side of the hill is where we've got no stress uh, nothing is incentivizing us nothing is motivating us and we sometimes really want those days don't we when we are tired exhausted etc and for short bursts of time having no stress at all is wonderful it helps us recharge but over a period of time we can become uh, lacking in empathy, we can become bored, we can become frustrated and just very, very um, not not in, you know, not excited by the world. Yeah. So we do need a certain level of stress. And if you imagine we start going up this hill, this incline, 
the, the more the stress that comes into our life, you know, we can become more productive, more efficient, etc. And all of us can cope with different levels of stress. And that's really important to say. And when we're at the top of that hill, if you like, and again, they're all different for different people. That's when we've got the right amount of stress for us that we can cope with. Mm-hmm. We've got the right amount of um, excitement in our world, uh, things that drive us, make us feel, you know, charged and pumped up. But quite quickly for people, if more and more stuff starts coming into our world or on our plate at that point, we can quite quickly start going down the other side of this curve. Mm-hmm. Now, if we continue to go down the other side of this curve, um, we will start to potentially experience real signs of burnout. And I'm sure we can all think of times where we've been stressed, where it's been hard to switch off and hard to stop thinking about things. But actually what we notice in burnout is a numbness in some respects, not being able to feel emotion, Um, always thinking about those things that are causing some of those stresses for us. So if it's work, always thinking about work, talking to people as though everyone works with us and not being able to come out of that role or that zone of what's causing us to feel that way. Um, Other feelings can be just no empathy for other people, um, uh, angry at people for just being who they are rather than something they've done. So not not being able to rationalize some of those feelings that might come up for us. And we've got a real um, disinterest in work, in, you know, maybe doing the things that normally are really, really good for us. So symptoms have really gone on quite a lot further than just feeling stressed by this point yes because I think that's a really important distinction to make because obviously naturally we all have stress in our lives sure. it's impossible not to yeah and every job comes with a certain mm-hmm. level of stress but like you said it's about having the level that you can handle absolutely and it's when that stress becomes I guess chronic or more prolonged and more serious yeah. that we need to kind of take notice of that and yeah. and maybe seek help I guess yeah and I know now that I know about burnout that I've probably experienced it twice in my career but right. um I didn't know at the time that it was happening but I was starting to dream about work all the time mm. so I actually didn't want to go to bed or to sleep because I didn't want to have these awful dreams that I was having um, and I remember my husband saying to me at the time you're talking to me like I'm one of your colleagues or that I work for you and I remember just sort of thinking shut up because uh, I was in that <laughs> zone at the time but actually looking back here yeah, I was I wasn't treating him as my husband anymore because I was just so in this horrible pot really of yeah. um, feeling hopeless feeling you know just couldn't be bothered anymore and all of these things and I just needed to completely remove myself from a particular situation and you know luckily for me I got some really good support at the time but did need some time off work and it was it was really obvious for me that it was going to be quite a journey to come back to where I once was. And that's what we see in burnout. Stress is recoverable quite quickly if we sort some things out. Burnout takes a little bit longer to recover from. It might need some more interaction or intervention from our our services, our GPs, um, but it takes a little bit longer to come back from. So we do need to be mindful of it. We need to be aware of it. And always considering what's on our stress plate, if you like, and how well we're coping Mm -hmm. and what we can manage. And again, and I'm going to say it all the way through this, but please don't compare what someone else can cope with versus you. We're different. We've got different yeah. coping abilities. We've got different things going on within all of us. So it's just about that. What's what's it for me and what does this feel like? That's so, so important, I think, because it's so easy to say, oh, well, someone has it worse. Yeah. Or so-and-so works 10 hours more mm-hmm. than me a week. Or, But that's not the point, is yeah. it? It's what we can cope with as an individual yeah, that matters. Totally. Okay, and what can employers do Um to support staff that might be struggling with things like burnout or just generally feeling overwhelmed so what what can we what can employers do to help ask someone how they are yeah just ask someone how they are um don't start a conversation even with 
oh, everyone doing okay? You seem all right today? Don't start mm-hmm. it to lead them into a conversation that you want to have that's positive. Uh, if you ask an open question, how are you? It gives them the, the, the ability or hopefully the option to say, not that good actually. Mm-hmm. So just ask an open question about it. A lot of the time people aren't going to respond the first time that you ask them. But maybe if you're really sensing that something's going on for them, to go back to that and say, um, that person and say, I know earlier you said that you're fine, but I've just sensed that there's something just not quite yourself at the moment. Mm. You know, do you, do you want a cup of tea? Do you want to go for a walk? Whatever it might be. They'll know that you're a bit more invested in actually asking the question and hearing the response at that stage. So I think wherever possible, creating an environment, a safe environment, an environment free mm-hmm. from stigma where possible, so that when someone is needing to say, actually, I'm struggling, that we can hear that and do something for them as well. And I think if someone is struggling, being able to help them find their own solutions rather than mm-hmm. as a line manager, we don't need to be the fixers, but actually encouraging that person to think about what would be good for them and then being part of the problem solving procedure can be really important in them to, in terms of them feeling like they've, they've got some control over something that might feel uncontrollable at that moment as well. So giving them some tools to be able to make decisions, suggest things that might be useful for them. And if the manager can, and if it's possible and doable, you know, suggesting things that might be good from a, an employee point of view, so changing working hours, responsibilities over a period of time. Um, you know, there's all there's always things that we can look at from a, a practical point of view, but we need that two-way dialogue to be able yeah. to even start to figure out what might be useful for someone so open honest supportive conversations have to be the starting point in that in that becoming better for someone definitely absolutely so it's it's all about communication really isn't it yeah. and creating a culture of openness mm-hmm. where people feel they are they they can be comfortable in in um saying how they really feel yeah um and I think I feel very lucky at B4B so management are really supportive mm-hmm. and we do have that kind of open culture where we can be honest with each other right. um and I think that's what I'm taking away from what you just said I think that's the most important thing really just having that openness there definitely and I think for managers and leaders and uh, to to role model you know and to not pretend that everyone everything's always fine or that we should just keep going you know I I I think the the times where I'm really inspired it's where people can kind of come off the hamster wheel themselves sometimes Mm. and say it's okay to take breaks it's okay to take annual leave it's okay to step away every so often and where I see managers taking lunch breaks that's really inspiring for me because it's this culture then you can you can do this you can do this as well if I'm going to do this and so wherever we're able to kind of show by our own demonstrations I think is a really powerful message to everyone else actually exactly and and again it's not enforcing that I I feel like there's a lot of that sort of almost toxic kind of hustle culture where um you know you see all the time on LinkedIn and, and people are saying you know you need to always be working and when you're at home you need to be doing a side business and you need to be writing a book and you need to be learning a language and there's this very much this culture at the moment of you know you need to always be on you need to always be learning and doing new things and I think just reinforcing that idea that we spoke about earlier that it is it's not just okay but it's necessary to rest and you know encouraging people to go home when they're you know when their day finishes and encouraging people to take their annual leave like you say absolutely and just encouraging people to do those things they need to recharge and I I completely agree and I talk about it a lot in training actually but we see a lot uh, you know and I'm not going to say in what particular fields of work but we see a lot people trying to outstress each other and actually all we're doing Mm. is 
who's in the who who's in the uh, you know who's going to reach that finish line first in terms of becoming unwell and surely that shouldn't be our aim at work no, or in exactly. life to become unwell first or or whatever it might mm. be so we do need to readjust these things and again just think about we can't you know f- from a physical point of view we can't just go on a run and keep running we have to stop no. at certain points and so we have to apply the same sort of principles to our mental health and our well-being absolutely no it's really interesting yeah I, I completely agree um and I think to to carry on talking about burnout I wanted to ask you um it does seem to be more prevalent now mm-hmm. you hear about it so much there's so many conversations about it mm-hmm. and I wonder what your thoughts are is that because people and this is obviously a very good thing but people are feeling comfortable enough to talk about it and people are you know encouraged to be open about it or do you think the pandemic has had this impact on people and and potentially that's causing us a spike in that sort of thing we've definitely seen an increase we've heard of an increase and um we're still waiting for quite a lot of data to come out from significantly from the last two years but what we know from some early indications is that those people working from home on full-time contracts for example in the pandemic were on average doing around about 29 hours more a month every single month so 29 hours more of work every single month so that on top of full-time equivalent you're roughly doing about five weeks of work in a month um so we need to really take that seriously and that might be because we're not getting those natural breaks we spoke about is this always on culture um so you know we're trying to do more you know I I was not homeschooling during that time I don't have my own children but for people doing that and then working oh, and goodness, other I responsibilities, I just couldn't work it all out in my own head mm. how all of this, these things were happening. And on top of the world being a difficult, difficult place for a lot of people at the moment. Um, so I think we were trying to take on a lot, you know, not for everyone. And I think probably now is a good time to say that some people had a really good time in lockdown. It yeah, was a very comfortable place for yeah. them. It was a very calm, quiet place. And that's maybe what some people needed. But for other people, it was horrendous. And I think it's just understanding that, again, everyone went through it slightly differently. But I do think there's a competitive nature. And I do think there is this feeling that we've just got to keep going at work. And, you know, and that's where we're really seeing these burnouts, really, and people not being able to say no or taking on too much or, um, you know, but generally speaking, it has seen a significant increase. And maybe it's from that working at home, maybe those extra responsibilities. But I hope that the more that we talk about it and people can realise those signs that they will stop before it becomes, you know, something that's going to be really crippling for them. Yeah, absolutely. And what what can people do if they start to notice those signs? Is it a, you know, speak to your GP kind of situation? Is it counselling? Or what what would you advise the first step to be? Recognise it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, just stop every so often and ask yourself, how are you? You know, we go around everywhere, don't we? And we ask each other how we are. And and actually, we need to be applying that to ourselves. ourselves, Totally. Mm -hmm. But not just ask ourselves that question. Be ready for the response and do something with it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, not just sort of keeping going with, oh, yeah, I'm struggling here, but just keep going, just keep going. You know, so really hearing what comes back from that. If we can identify some of those things that are causing it, if potentially, if we're needing to, but don't ever be ashamed or afraid or frightened of going to your GP. And if you've got provisions in your workplace, things like your employee assistance program, if you have one, speaking to a line manager, a colleague, if you've got mental health first aiders in your organisation, mm. go and speak to someone. And I know it's such a cliche thing to say, and it's something that we we band around quite a lot, but 
a problem shared is really, really Absolutely. a problem halved. And for me, it doesn't have to be necessarily verbalising it. I could write it down. I could just get it out in the atmosphere, as I call it. And that can sometimes be enough to just release something from mm-hmm. me. Um so people can, you know, it, it, what works for one person won't for another. I think learning about your own coping strategies. And again, please don't compare, you know, running for one person is beautiful therapy. It might be a stressor for other people. Knitting for someone might be wonderful. You know, so it's about what is your, what can your downtime look like? Yeah. What can you do that's going to give you that sense of stillness, relaxation, uh, distraction. What is it that you need and how can you make those things happen for you? Um, And again, it's just trying different things. I think coping strategies can be a really good way of measuring how you're currently feeling because if something usually works for you in terms of relaxing you or distracting you and it stops doing that, it could be another indication that something's starting to decline for you as well so knowing again it's knowing yourself knowing what works for you trying different things so that you can get that time that you need so coping strategies reaching out for support really really important yeah absolutely okay and um and to talk about downtime as you as you just mentioned again I think it's about giving ourselves permission to take that time um to rest I think again there's this there's very much this attitude that in your free time you still have to be productive to an extent mm-hmm. I hear it so much and people saying they feel guilty that they wasted a Sunday when they could have gone out and been out in the sunshine and they just stayed on the sofa and watched Netflix but I always think if that's what you want to do if you if that's what you need and your body's yeah. telling you I just want to lie on the sofa all day totally what's the problem like yeah. rest is something that's important in itself and rest in itself is productive because mm. it's letting your body and your mind recharge yeah, yeah. and I think so many people, I think society almost kind of trains us to think it's a waste of time rather than actually something we need. Um, and I think it's just giving ourselves permission to just switch off and do what we need to do. And like you say, the coping strategies are different from person to person. Absolutely. So I'm not someone that likes to go for long walks or go for a run. Mm-hmm. My my way of coping is sitting in the garden, yeah. eating some nice food, totally. relaxing, watching some Netflix. And, yeah. and that's okay. Absolutely. And, you know, saying no to things. (laughs) We don't have to be at every social event. We don't have to say yes to everything that's offered to us. And I think, I guess I've learned that the hard way over the years, really. But I'm, I'm, I'm quite empowered by that now to be able to say no to things that I don't have the time for. If I know that I, I much, much rather need that space for me. Mm -hmm. I'm a lot better at doing that now. I think in my earlier years, I probably lived a lot with the fear of missing out. Oh, so I had to be at everything. Yeah. I had to do everything. Yeah. I think now as I get older, I'm a bit like, nah. But, um, yeah, you know, same. I think it's okay to say no and, you know, choose the things that are going to be good for you. And like you said, listen to what your body needs. What do you, what does your mind need at that moment mm-hmm. in time? And I don't know. I, I, I think it's just, again, that comparison thing comes up mm-hmm. and who cares what anyone else is doing on the weekend? Do be exactly. you. <laughs> exactly. Do what's good for you. I yeah. think I used to be exactly the same. I always said yes to everything. I wanted to be at every social event. Yeah. I wanted to be the last person to leave. I didn't <laughs> want to miss out on anything. Now I'm the first one to say, right, I'm actually tired. I want to go to bed now. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe that's just from getting older, but I just, I think I'm much better now at saying no to things and, and again, setting those boundaries and, and doing what's right for me. I'm at the happiest point now to to be in my house on a Friday evening in my jammers at 9pm. Yes. There is no shame in that whatsoever. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the dream Friday night for me as well. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. 
so you mentioned mental health first aid. Yeah. Um, and that's something that a lot of workplaces are talking about mm-hmm. at the moment. A lot of people are shouting about how they've got a mental health first aider on staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people might not, obviously we all know what a first aider is, but a lot of people might not be that familiar with the concept mm-hmm. of a mental health first aider. So um, could you tell us a bit of, a bit more about that? Yeah, so we offer the mental health first aid course here at Dorset Mind. We've got expert trainers that deliver that 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 accredited course. And yeah, like you said, it's it's the equivalent of physical first aid. And we've been doing that. I remember doing it at school. So mm. it's been around for a really, really long time. Of course it has. This is just the equivalent. This is about humans learning key life skills to be able to start, assist navigate conversations with someone that might be struggling with their mental ill health and we're talking about everything from living with mild to moderate mental health all the way through to to crisis and so a mental health first aider is um is educated to be able to spot the signs and symptoms in people um that mental health might be declining uh, people are educated in how to hold those conversations and i think for me it gives people the confidence and the power to know um that they're not going to make anything worse. I think a lot of fear mm. comes with starting conversations when we know that someone is maybe really struggling, that we're going to say something, do something, make this situation worse. And I guess then for mental health first aid, it just equips us with some tools for our back pocket, as I call it, that we can just rely upon um, to be able to support people in the most appropriate way. And that we've got a framework that runs through mental health first aid. And it's really a process that anyone can follow then to be able to give the appropriate level of support to people whilst not becoming a counsellor, a GP or therapist, Mm. because we're not those people. What we are are listeners and we can help guide that person towards appropriate help, Um, you know, giving them enough information so that they can choose the best course of action for them. Um, And and it's it's some of the the feedback and some of the testimonies that we hear from it are really quite profound in terms of you know people being able to ask all of a sudden an open question around suicide for example Mm -hmm. whereas beforehand maybe never even venturing there never even wanting to have that conversation not even being able to say the word suicide and we have to start saying the word suicide we need to start asking questions we need to start being able to be confident enough to have some of these really really difficult conversations because it saves lives and um so having mental health first aiders in your organisation, becoming one yourself, this isn't just about work, but of course we're here to talk about work, but this is a life skill that any human being could benefit Absolutely, from. Absolutely, yeah. Because this could be to support your niece, your cousin, your neighbour, um, and of course your colleagues and, and your friends as well. So it just equips us to give us the confidence to know how to handle a situation like that. And start having ourselves. those conversations that, yeah. you know, that are so important. And hopefully being able to come away from them and knowing you've done the best that you can in that situation rather than, did I say that right? Did I do this right? So again, it's that kind of confidence and uh, and empowerment, hopefully, that comes from it. And uh, I certainly love delivering it. It's it's an incredible course with, um, you know, really, really strong outcomes. So yeah, I'm delighted to be part of that community. Great. And I think, again, it's really important to stress that it's not about being a fixer yourself. It's not about stepping into the shoes of a counsellor or a GP or something that you're not qualified to do it's just about supporting and signposting like you mentioned and just again about having those conversations and and you know encouraging someone to open up and and yeah and I think that's so valuable yeah and we talked about boundaries earlier didn't we but I think sometimes we go into fixer mode not realizing that it's that Mm -hmm. we're not that person yeah and you can see some light bulb moments for people when they're 
really starting to accept that I'm not the fixer in that situation. And what it does hopefully as well is take some of those levels of responsibility off our shoulders as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, knowing what we can do, what we can't do and why we can do and can't do those things to be able to remain safe ourselves and, and safe for that person as well. So, yeah, it's it's uh, an invaluable skill. Um, uh, MHFA England, so Mental Health First Aid England there, their overall aim is to have one in 10 adults trained as mental health first mm-hmm. aiders. So, you know, they're, they're getting there, but we need mm-hmm. as many people as possible signing up and just learning these really, really invaluable things. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I found it so interesting. I did the course a few years back and I just, I found it so, it's some of the stuff is so simple. Mm-hmm. Um, like you say, just about having those conversations that you might shy away from yeah. because, you know, you think, oh gosh, I can't, I can't bring that up. But yeah. just realising that actually you can and that mm-hmm. it is so important. I just found it amazing really yeah. and I think if you're a framework or a process uh, a process kind of a person there is that running through the whole yes mechanism of mental health first aid so it does help us feel that we're on track we know what's coming next and we can kind of lean on something to be able to support the process that we're putting in place so yeah I can't speak highly enough of it I'm sure that comes across yes. but um <laughs> yeah it's 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 a phenomenal course yeah absolutely great and and um as a trainer obviously you're you're talking to people about these issues that we've touched on today mm-hmm. and you're delivering things like the mental health first aid course um I'm interested to know kind of what commonly asked questions do you get what kind of concerns and issues do people raise with you is are you seeing a bit of a theme at the moment has the pandemic changed kind of people's priorities and their concerns kind of what what do you get asked a lot I think a lot of people are, um, they worry about starting a conversation. Mm-hmm. They they worry about the approach to take when they know that someone's not quite themselves at the moment. So we, we, we work through that quite a lot on a lot of our training courses, actually, at Dorset Mind. We talk about that. We've got a course in particular called Courageous Conversations, and it's all around that. You know, how do we actually facilitate conversations? Coming back to what I just mentioned, you know, people are really concerned a lot of the time they're going to say something wrong or make mm. something worse. And so so that comes up time and time again. Um, we've we've really focused in the last couple of years around spotting the signs and symptoms of mental health in a virtual world. So what do we see from someone through mm. Zoom, through Teams yeah. or whatever mechanism we're using? So we can sense so much, can't we, when we're in a room together? But actually, you know, if someone's not using their camera, if someone's quite negative yeah, on chat, so whatever it is, you know, what is it that's going on there? So, you know, I think that's been a particular thing for us, uh, certainly over the last couple of years. But um you know, I think generally speaking, um, people want to support, they want to help. It's just learning a little bit more about what to look out for. Um, and again, really about how can I look after me? You know, what is it that I can Mm. do for me? So we have, um, our wellness action plan here at Dorset Mind, for example, which is a great resource to actually think about what I look like when I'm well. Uh, and that helps us indicate when then something's changing for us. So what are yeah. our early warning signs? What do we need to look out for? And what can we put in place then if we're noticing noticing any of those as well? Um, so, you know, but it can be anything from people asking just simply, how do I support my loved one or my my colleague or whatever it might be? So we, we get quite 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 common questions but I guess through our delivery we're able to address a lot of those uh, a lot of those uh, real real genuine concerns that people have to get it right or not make something worse as well I imagine it must be I mean I, I imagine it must be so rewarding doing what you do and having those conversations with people empowering them educating them I, I just I yeah I just think it must be amazing um yeah uh, like I said, it's my it's my absolute happy place. And uh, yeah. even this morning, I was delivering a session on menopause and mental health. And 
um, I won't go into the details of what we were speaking about this now, but you know, um, enabling people to have conversations that they've never had before. Mm. That is pretty amazing. That yeah. is pretty amazing. And when people can go away from it and have really learned something from it, can put something into action. And I'm talking about all the cl- all the sessions that we run here at Dorset Mind, you know, but um, seeing light bulb moments in a classroom or seeing light bulb moments even on Zoom or whatever it might be, you know, that that's really profound. And people reaching out for support for the first time just because they know how to or where to go. Um, I, I do have this feeling that we are really saving lives through that. And, yeah. you know, I can't, I, I can't in any way minimize that. That's an amazing thing to be a part oh, of. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. That just about wraps up the podcast for today. But before you go, I want to ask you one final question. And it's something, <laughs> it's something um, that I ask everyone I meet. Who are your dream dinner party guests and what are you cooking for them? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> do you know, I, I, I think I'm going to overthink this. So I'm just going to go with my gut reaction. Uh, and it comes from a place of sadness, but I'm not going to make it sad. I lost my mum when I was a teenager. And so I've never had the opportunity to have a dinner with her as an adult. And so I would love to sit at a dinner table actually Aww. with her. And I am a terrible cook. So um, <laughs> is it all right if my husband cooks something? Is that Absolutely. allowed? I'll allow it. I'll <laughs> allow just it. pay for that. Um, and her favourite singer was Annie Lennox. So I would just love Aww. the two of them to just have a dinner and I'll just watch it and just sit there husband quite happily. Cook. Lovely. Cook. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't think of like, who else would I possibly want to do that with? So, um, yeah, that would probably be it for me. <laughs> oh, that's a wonderful answer. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, as I said, that just about wraps up for today. Um, before we go, I just want to add that if there's anything you want to learn more about um, or you know any of the issues we've talked about today, there's a wealth of resources on the Dorset Mind website and that's dorsetmind.uk. Is yes, that right? that's it. Lovely. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really lovely to chat to you and thank you to everyone for listening and we'll see you again soon. Thank you.